<laughs> gotta keep busy these days. You gotta keep busy. Well, and, and if it's not us keeping busy, it's the markets keeping us busy. Right, so whether right. Whether you want to or not, you. Jimmy, <laughs> you're always I, at it. I don't know, man. I don't know what you make of this. And and I wonder. Let's maybe start off there, right? Uh, we've seen Silicon Valley Bank in the last while. We've heard now of the latest coming out of Credit Suisse, and it seems. You know, the Swiss uh, central bank having to come in, you know, and be the knight in shining armor to save the day. Um, and yeah, this high interest rate environment uh, is triggering a lot of dominoes that are falling. Uh, and I guess it um, shows to what degree we've learned some lessons from 2007-8. Absolutely. I mean, the, what you're seeing happen now is very different from what we saw happen in 2007 and 2008. Mm. So the types of market events and the conditions under which companies are being moved um, are, are very different to the financial crisis of 08. 08 financial crisis was um, the housing market collapsing as well and all sorts of other things. But the, what you're seeing now is um, certain banks, banks in particular in this case, are being caught with their pants down where mm. your balance sheet wasn't strong enough, your um, reserve requirements weren't strong enough. This whole fractional reserve model that we've had in place in the U.S. and in parts around the world as well um, just goes to show that that model on the current um, interest rate cycle and what we're going through now is just not a sustainable model. Mm. And I guess when, when this model was put in place, nobody ever thought find ourselves in a situation where U.S. rates are as high as they are or where um, the factors that we're going through are um, the way they are now. But it, it, it's a learning curve, as was 08, uh, 07, 08. Um, and I suppose there's different lessons to learn from here. But it's also nice to see that the same things that happened in 07 and 08 are not being repeated. So I guess it does mean that they learned something from those. Mm, mm. And, and, you know, I guess the other question for me, Jimmy, that... Um always comes to mind when we see a bank run like this under very different conditions i must say uh to some of the other bank runs that have been seen historically but when this kind of thing happens there's also the big question around concentration risk in the case of silicon valley bank maybe explain to us in the case of credit suisse how did they get to that point i understand with the silicon valley bank if all if your entire book is largely focused on the tech sector there's also the interest rate risk, um, you know, the term structure risk, because, you know, it seems they were lending short, but I guess investing some of that money in long-term assets. Um, with Credit Suisse, um, what's the anatomy here of how they got to this crisis? The Credit Suisse's setup was a little different, right? So um, in as much as uh, SVB and what happened with the likes of uh, Signature as well in the U.S., um, mm. that was largely driven by um, sort of a, a different focus on um, the, the interest income component in Credit Suisse's uh, case in particular, whereas um, if you look at the SVB's, I mean, uh, the credit, uh, sorry, that was in the SVB's case. In the case of Credit Suisse, we're looking at um, what's known as equity, uh, economic value of equity. Mm. And now this is something that is put in place by the ECB to protect and safeguard against these things. So um, European and ECB regulation um, assesses the economic value of equity of a bank and therefore then has its own uh, requirements and disclosures that it, that it sets out for banks based on that. Now, on that basis, that actually 
counted in the favor of Credit Suisse mm. um, in terms of the fact that it helped them weather this interest rate hiking cycle better. But what wasn't in Credit Suisse's favor is that the bank itself had its own challenges. If you remember, this is a bank that was um, facing reputational damage from things around investment choices, money laundering, other controversies and those sorts of things. So the bank itself had its own skeletons that it was dealing with. Mm. And so that was more of a, a factor for Credit Suisse um, in their particular situation. And that's why it was easier for them to go to um, this, uh, the Swiss Central Bank and say, give us a loan, we need $54 billion. we'll be okay after that. And you sure. saw the share price also react similarly. Share mm. price was down, what, 25% yesterday, recovered about 17% today as well. So you saw that that movement and that shock to the market was absorbed a lot better sure. than what happened in the case of SVB, where SVB is now no longer had to be taken over by um, the U.S. Fed and, and had a whole host of its own other problems. Mm. So slightly small differences, small nuances, yeah, which... Yeah counted in favor of Credit Suisse in this case. And that also then speaks to the quality of banking regulation, right? Mm. So if you look at the, the banking regulation model in, in the U.S. versus the banking regulation model in the ECB versus the banking regulation model that we have, at, that we employ um, at a central bank level in South Africa, those models show you how different companies or different banks will perform under different stress conditions, right? So you'll see that the South African situation is going to be, there's been talks about whether or not the South African situation will happen and we'll see banks go through that as well. No. Mm. South Africa's banks are well capitalized, number one. South Africa's banks have gone through the inflationary environment they're currently going through where we've seen interest rates at these elevated levels. Mm. So we're actually in a better position um, when compared to a bank like SVB. And SVB wasn't exactly a small bank in the U.S. either. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy, let's maybe shift away from the banking sector and go out to the world of coal. Um, I mean, this is a space that's always had, and least of all in the last while, a lot of contestation around it. Uh, we had a, back, a bit of a back and forth yesterday with the Treasurer General of the EFF about coal and thermal coal exports and so on. Um, so it, it certainly is, I guess, very much in the eye of the storm. Uh, but uh, yeah, Exara putting out some numbers here. And, um, you know, one of the... Um, you know, slides in their results presentation for me, which really stood out, uh, is a slide that has, you know, uh, the uh, volume of South African thermal coal exports uh, between 1993 and uh, 2022 and the hours of load shedding. Um, and uh, so just to give some of our listeners a sense, you know, um, the Richards Bay Coal Terminal processed around 72.2 million tons uh, of uh, uh, the black stuff in 2019. Uh, in 1993, it was 51 million tons. And uh, take a listen to this. In 2022, uh, when the prices were much more favorable, um, Richards Bay uh, Coal Terminal was only able to process 50.3 million tons, the same level or just below uh, what was processed 30 years ago um, in 1993. Now, um, I mentioned the price, Jimmy, because if I look at the price environment, if you expect ex- exporting around 73 million tons, in 2019, when the prices were hovering, you know, uh, below 100 US dollars a ton, uh, you're going to be crying um, if in 2022 that price was breaching the 400 US dollars a ton and uh, you were at the same capacity you were at in 1993. So <laughs> there's, there, there's a lot to this one, right? Um, first of all, we should be 
well north of 100 million tons by now, right? Right, so yeah. Sit in, in terms of exports, right? But w- where's the hang-up? The hang-up from this is an SOE. It's mm. not ESCOM, it's Transnet. Transnet in the last 18, quarter 20 months, in the last 20 or so months, has declared force majeure six times. Now, they can argue that it's for different reasons. It's been for different reasons at certain points and all of that. But the reality is a company like Exaro has lost 32% of export volumes purely on the inability of Transnet to provide them with a service to get their call to RBCT. If they can get the call to RBCT, it can be exported. So now they have to go through things like uh, road and that sort of thing. Mm. That one increases costs for the companies. Two, it takes a lot longer to get to RBCT if you're going by road as opposed to by rail. Mm. So the direct result of the reduction in or the reduced export volumes is nothing other than transnet. It's not an inefficiency on RBCT to process the, the stock. It's not an inefficiency on the mining companies to extract the coal and get the coal ready and prepped for export. It's on an inefficiency of an, a state-owned entity, which we've, you and I have gone through at length that they're not the only ones. So unfortunately for Exaro, and I've, I mean, I've spoken to their financial director as well around the performances, they're saying even though revenues were up 41%, even though you saw that the average price of coal was high, they, they lost 32% of export volume because they couldn't get it to where it needs to get to, and that's revenue lost. Mm, mm. For us, that's also that's tax lost. That's tax revenue that they would have contributed towards yeah. corporate tax, and that's tax revenue that South is not going to see. I know, Jimmy, you were saying that uh, it's not oh, it's not ESCOM, and I guess you were saying not only ESCOM, because in that same slide, they also show uh, that in 2018, there were 124 hours of national load shedding, and uh, mm. in 2022, there were 1,949 hours of load shedding. Um, so there's been, a, I guess, a very quick but uh, exponential rise in the mm. number of hours of disruptions of load shedding, and notwithstanding that, Still, this company was able to uh, put out double-digit growth, uh, which speaks volumes, I guess, about um, the price environment for thermal coal exports across the world. And, of course, we know the main markets for this stuff had been India and China, uh, but we've seen the likes of uh, the Germanys in the world, the French and others, uh, beginning to gobble up some of our black stuff. Yeah, so at the moment, the, the coal companies should really be benefiting a lot more from the elevated prices. The commodity cycle that's been running for them since COVID has happened. We went through a big super cycle in 2021. Mm. We're now going through somewhat of a similar cycle um, on the coal side of it. uh, And companies really should be able to benefit from this. But what you're seeing from, um, as you rightly alluded to, the the load shedding impact as well, is that these companies are now being forced to deploy resources elsewhere. Mm. So Ignara's got 10 billion rand in cash. CapEx diversion. Yeah, it looks like CapEx diversion. Exactly. You now have to divert your CapEx to not growing your operation, not improving your efficiency, Mm. but mitigating load shedding. So now I have to put in place other measures so that we can actually continue production. So on the mining side of it, unfortunately, it's not as... um, And many industries and manufacturing in South Africa as well, it's not a situation where a a four-hour load shedding gap is one of those things where you can just say, okay, cool, we'll switch off the machines, we'll switch them back on in four hours. Some Mm. machinery takes two hours to get running in the first place. So when you lose that productivity, to switch it back on is simply not worth it if it's at the end of your business day. Or you're incurring overtime costs, or you're incurring diesel costs to not have to switch off. 
So those factors are factors that businesses are now having to contend with by force, and that's eating into margins. That's going to eat into their profitability, not only because they can't meet the, the output requirements, but also now because to meet those output requirements requires increased input costs that's not related to things like inflationary environments and that sort of thing, but related to factors that haven't been fixed. Mm, mm. Yeah, look, I mean, I think for me, this one, um, we're going to be watching quite closely, um, you know, to what degree uh, some of the other uh, players in the coal sector, the Cerritis of the world and others, uh, put out a similar set of numbers. Uh, mm. But uh, it's been a bumper year. I don't know to what degree that price is going to soften somewhat because, as I said, the historic trend, I mean, the prices of the stuff in 2019 were less than 100 US dollars uh, a ton. They are now over 400 or hovering at that point at the end of 2022. Uh, so you can imagine uh, to what degree this price windfall has certainly fallen on the lap of many of the coal players. Uh, let's go to the world of cheese, confectionery products, you know, um, cleaning products and the like, uh, from the white label stuff to Lancewood to Denny's, mushrooms, Lipstar. Uh, yeah, they've had a bit of a tough year, hey? They went through quite a bit, hey? They, they, they had a lot to contend with, and despite all of that, I mean, there were some positives that you can take from uh, their business. There were some areas where they, they did see some improvements, but they've mm. also come out... Um, to say that despite the tough year, it's not looking like it's going to be a lot easier. They're one of the companies that's taking a cautioned approach to 2023 on the basis that 2022 was was quite a rocking year for them. Yeah, and I, I mean, look, double-digit uh, uh, revenue growth, but um, yeah, I guess on the cost side of things, things are tough. You know, um, we've been looking at a few sets of numbers over the last few weeks or so, and uh, the one message that everybody's talking up in these market news announcements is the implication of input cost inflation uh, on the defense of margins. Um, and notwithstanding that, it seems also a lot of people are paying dividends. So, so I'm not sure which is which. <laughs> and that's, that's the confusing thing, right? Because Lipstar's no different. They came out to say as well that um, their headline earnings per share and basic earnings per share um, declined. Mm. And I actually spoke to the CEO uh, a little earlier today, and he said that that decline was not as a result of impairments, because they, they had just shy of 300 million rand in impairments, which is a significant amount. But he said that the, mar the, the headline earnings per share and, and basic earnings per share were not affected by that. They were affected by the margins being eroded by the impact of load shedding and inflationary pressures. Now, the load shedding impact on their part is what, no, some 39 million rand over the past year. And that obviously coupled with the inflationary environment that they're dealing with um, is what led to their earnings per share coming down so much. But again, the business itself had to weather other storms, like that impairment number that I gave you. I mean, it, it was 277 million rand in impairments, including um, the, the Denny's mushrooms business that uh, suffered from that fire. Um, there were a couple of other business units that were also affected. And so such a, such a significant amount towards impairment is going to affect you, whether you're looking at it from a balance sheet perspective, whether you're looking at it from a long-term profitability perspective, because at some point your valuations are going to be looked at to, to say, how are we then absorbing that impairment um, impact? And yes, they've acquired some businesses. Uh, they acquired, I think, uh, Cape Foods as well, which was a good strategic acquisition for them. Uh, and they also did manage as a business to reverse um, 
their H- their um, healthcare, personal healthcare business that was previously held for sale, now, uh, or not held for sale, sorry, it was previously a discontinued operation. They've turned it around. It's now a continuing operation in this current financial year. So they're going to restate financials and everything. But it's good that they were able to turn that around and prove some level of resilience um, in the difficult climate that they're dealing with. But as I said earlier, the difficult climate they're foreseeing to continue for them. I mean, they're, con- they're foreseeing that inflationary pressures, load shedding pressures, margin pressures are going to still be factors to contend with. And that then paints a very interesting picture about the state of the South African picture as a whole, because you're, you're seeing that the central bank on the one side is saying, we're also expecting growth numbers to be below the population growth rate, Mm. um, which is a scary sight on its own, and that businesses themselves are not going to be contributing as much towards the growth of the economy. So that that paints a lot of concerning uh, points, Mm. not just for companies like Lipstop. Jimmy, hold the line there for me for a second. We're going to take a quick uh, spot break. But when we come back, we'll wrap up on the other side. And I want us to take a look at the latest coming out of uh, Portland cement producer, PPC. Uh, And it seems, yeah, the margins are looking good out in Kigali. 17 minutes before 8 p.m. is the time. And uh, we wrap up our business wrap uh, with uh, Jimmy Moyaha, market analyst. And uh, Jimmy, just as we wrap up... uh, Portland cement producer PPC uh, coming out uh, and giving some guidance of what their numbers, um, which uh, I guess uh, are anticipated um, for the financial year ending at the end of this month. Uh, so we're about 11 months or so into their financial year. And they're just saying, hey, this is what things are looking like. Uh, and it seems, yeah, margins are nice out in Rwanda, uh, but um, same input cost uh, inflation here and uh, challenges in passing that through to consumers uh, out in South Africa, Botswana, and in Zimbabwe? Yeah, I don't know what to make of the PPC numbers, right? Because the, the, the PPC story and the story of our construction space, you look at Avenge, you look at Murray and Roberts, Obviously, Marion Roberts had a different set of circumstances at that time. Mm. But you just look at the construction space and how it's been negatively impacted since, what, for the last five, ten years or so, and more so during the COVID period. You, we know that they're so heavily reliant on um, the infrastructure program and infrastructure developments in South Africa by way of the likes of Sunrail and those sorts of guys. And we haven't really seen infrastructure development until some recent announcement made, announcements made by Sunrail. So their businesses haven't been doing the best in certain regions. But as you rightly mentioned, there are other regions that have been performing well, mm. regions like um, Rwanda, where the, if you look at the development in cities like Kigani, it's been absolutely fantastic to, to see, you know. So it's, it's, not, it's positive to see that growth and um, the, the fact that companies like PPC are able to benefit from that. But it is also concerning when you look at the, the local picture and you look at the, the picture in Zimbabwe where there's been uh, declines in, in revenues and margins and that sort of thing as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a complex picture to look at from a PPC perspective. And I guess it's the benefit of having some level of diversification within your business to whether certain uh, regions or to offset what you're losing from certain regions by what you're gaining from mm, other regions. Mm. So, so I mean, what's the story here? Well, I, on the one hand, I get the input cost drivers, uh, but, I mean, this statement also peppered a lot with 
whether or not they, you know, in the past year have had import competition, what they anticipate for the future. You know, uh, I guess clinker and cement imports coming from places like Pakistan uh, seem to be an issue for them. But um, it's peppered there a lot. I'm not too sure what to make of that message. What do you make of it? So I think this is the thing. It also then, from a business point of view, um, doesn't give you clear direction on what we can expect from a, a performance perspective going forward, right? So we know that some of the business units locally have um, been able to achieve uh, reduction in net deaths, um, particularly the South African and Botswana business, which is very good because it then improves the the liquidity and the standpoint of the business. But the supply chain side of things and the, the, the factors that they're contending with from the regions like Pakistan, from what they're contending with in terms of output and um, or their input costs as well, are factors that aren't going to go away anytime soon, right? So if you're a PPC and you're sitting in a situation where you've been contending with certain factors, um, up to date, a lot of your factors that have driven sort of a negative performance around the business have been centered around your revenue numbers and your ability to achieve your revenue targets. And now you're compounding that with new factors that are global factors affecting everybody at a macro level, regardless Mm. of which region you operate in. That doesn't paint a very positive picture for the business in terms of um, weathering the short-term wins, right? So we've already seen that the share price has come under immense pressure over the last couple of years uh, as a result of the revenue side of their business, as a result of not being able to have significant levels of revenue. You saw the same thing with the likes of Murray and Roberts. When Murray and Roberts' cloud business was 62% of their order book, and that went up um, and was Sunrail and um, the infrastructure development program from the government coming online in South Africa, mm. and maybe some infrastructure development in Botswana. But until that actually materializes, the, the, the construction guys are very much in the same boat as the Xara example we used earlier, where yeah. if you're not able to realize revenues, you're not going to be able to sustainably turn around your share price, turn around investor confidence in your ability to deliver on results. Mm, mm. Jimmy, just as we wrap up, man, it, it seems, you know, you're, you're quite yeah, you're quite the hit uh, also with our Metro FM uh, talk faithful because there's somebody who was listening to your show on SAFM, uh, which you've just completed in, in the last while, um, who I guess has a follow-up. So uh, take a listen to this. Good evening to you, Mr. Jimmy. 